Hello and welcome to the Travel Diaries podcast. I'm your host, journalist Holly Rubenstein, and here each week I'll be speaking to a very special guest about the seven chapters in their life's travel diaries. From their earliest childhood travel memory and the first place they fell in love with, to their hidden gem and what's at the top of their travel bucket list. We'll be uncovering their adventures around the world and the travel experiences and destinations that have shaped their lives. On today's episode, I'm joined by Mr. Blue Eyes himself, our favourite judge from the Great British Bake Off and making a very rare podcast appearance. I am thrilled to be joined by Paul Hollywood. Paul began his career as a baker, quickly ascending to become head baker in some of the world's most exclusive hotels. His talent caught the eye of TV producers who snapped him up for cooking shows and before long he was cast as a judge on one of TV's most successful shows of all time, The Great British Bake Off. Paul has taken part in every season of the show over the past 12 years and when he isn't filming he's most likely working on other TV shows that combine his two loves, food and travel and he has travelled the world over. Paul is probably the guest that this season a lot of you have been most curious about, maybe because of his tough love and penetrating stare on the Bake Off. But as you'll hear, Paul was so much fun, an absolute delight, so genuine, funny and down to earth and clearly really passionate about travel. I enjoyed this one so much. I hope you will too. So let's get started. Paul Hollywood, welcome to the Travel Diaries podcast. It is amazing to see you. How are you? Very good, thank you. Uh, the weather's picked up a little bit, so I'm a bit happier. <laughs> now, you've got an amazing tan. I saw on Instagram you were just back from Mexico. Yeah, I've been in Mexico and Spain recently. Uh, Mexico, Mexico for work and Spain for a bit of a break. Lovely. So tell me about where you, where you went in Mexico. It's somewhere I've always wanted to go. Uh, Mexico City, uh, Oaxaca, Tijuana, Baja, uh, Merida, Yucatan, and Cancun. Wow. So that was a really comprehensive tour. <laughs> yeah, it was. Uh, it's for a new series that's coming out. Uh, we're not quite sure when, but um, a lot of the programs that I've done over the last five years have been travel. Yeah. Uh, maybe six or seven years have been travel. So I've been very lucky, you know, to mix pleasure with work. So yeah. been able to see some amazing places. Yeah, I mean, what a privilege. When you're doing those kind of, those shows where you're covering so much ground, do you kind of get, do you feel like you're able to get under the skin of the destination or are you just thinking, oh, I've got to come back here and here and here to really spend some time? I think obviously when you're filming it, the researchers go out there for some considerable time to develop the programme and get some ideas of where it could go to. So they tend to cut to the chase. So it's like anything. If you go on holiday to a destination, the first two, three days, you're finding your feet. You're finding out where the local shop is, where the decent bars are, where the nice restaurants are. So you really don't start settling into your holiday till about four or five days in. And then mm. you've only got maybe two days or 10 days left to go on your holiday. Yeah. With, with the researcher, they do all that for you. So essentially, oh, so we're, nice. we're, we're, we're filming it, but we're going to the best places that we know are the best. They've been checked out. And then... So we just go straight to the best places to see and get access to places that a lot of people won't be able to get to, you know. How incredible. So what was your favourite place in Mexico? Uh, oh, that's a tricky one. Uh, loved Baja. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, I think Bajas and Ensenada on the coast is incredible. Is that like Cabo area? Yeah, well, Cabo Cabo's a little bit further down, but uh, Ensenada's sort of halfway, if you like, from Tijuana down. Mm-hmm. Um, Ensenada, there's a lot of restaurants. Was a, there's one particular, I can't go into too much detail. I went to a restaurant which is about 15 miles from Ensenada. Amazing restaurant, outdoor kitchen, all local produce, incredible food, incredible views. And I, I was just so chilled there. I like remote, rural. That's what I like. I don't mm-hmm. like cities as much. Ironically, I did city bakes for yeah. years. Yeah, I saw that. Um, and I, 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 <laughs> I, found that, that. I found that difficult because a lot of people and I don't, I like space. Yeah. Uh, I, th- I did my Who Do You Think You Are and ended up going back to the the real highlands of Scotland in the far north, northwest and found my family croft from 150, 180 years ago. And I felt really comfortable there, totally. So it's in your blood, that kind it, of... It is. Yeah. I mean, I was born and raised on the Wirral, so it was... It's not rural, but there are rural bits. But I always enjoy going to North Wales a lot for mm. family trips, caravan, tenting, camping. So I think ultimately when I went to Mexico, I found these places and I think I think Baja is beautiful. I also think, uh, I mean, Cancun was, uh, yeah, I mean, it's a holiday destination. And, yeah. it, and it, you're going to get sunshine and you've got great beaches. And big hotels. For me, it's just a little bit built up. I did go to a, a hotel in uh, uh, Chocolo, which is um, called Chablet which was mm-hmm. one of the best hotels in the world. It's, it's only been open for six years and um, stayed in this amazing uh, villa, which was in the jungle, and it's all glass. <laughs> so actually, the shower, you shower outside in the jungle, and then the room is beautiful. I mean, the way uh. they've laid out is if the trees are in inside the room, and it, oh, it's a very wow. special place. But, that um, indoor-outdoor feeling. Yeah, and the, the pool, bigger than a plunge pool, but not as big as a swimming pool, mm. but big enough to cool you down. Oh, that sounds <laughs> so idyllic. We're going to go on a journey through the seven chapters of your life's travel diaries. You've just mentioned there growing up in the Wirral. We're going to start at the very beginning. Chapter one is your earliest childhood travel memory. I think for me, it was always going to the caravan, uh, I think initially caravan, then camping uh, mm-hmm. in North Wales. I never really went abroad till I was, I think I went abroad when I was about seven or eight to Ibiza with my mum and dad. That's and an interesting first destination. The only place I remember, all I remember from that holiday are lizards. Yes. I don't remember. <laughs> I don't well, yeah, remember I guess you went to Pasha, else. were you? <laughs> well, no. I mean, I, I, I was very young, of, what, of the eldest of three, so... Lizards are the only thing that sticks in my mind. So I don't remember much of the holiday. My my first, for me, proper holiday was was North Wales, going to the caravan. Spending so a where lot in of North time. Wales was that? Well, it's Pembermar, which is just outside Conway. Uh-huh. And there was a campsite there. Um, I still go back there. It's one of my it's one of my thinking places. I have many thinking places on the planet, and that's one of them. One of the original ones, and it's a mountain that near the tunnel that goes through to Conway. And we used to camp at the bottom of the mountain and next door was the caravan park where we initially went but um loved it i remember in the evening there was a there was an old sort of stately home attached to old manor house which is part of the grounds mm-hmm. and all the adults used to go there because there was a bar there and a little restaurant but i just remember sort of running around you know chasing chasing uh, my brothers and having a laugh 
and the tuck shop down the road was had a very distinctive smell. In fact, I went there probably about eight years ago now. I was up in North Wales, and I said, I'm going to go find the campsite. So I drove in there, and it seemed much smaller, much smaller when you're an adult. Yeah. And I found the tuck shop that was still there, still oh, open. But still I actually there. went into the tuck shop, and the smell hit me straight away. I went, this takes me back. This takes oh. me back 40, 50 years. This is ridiculous. Speaking of um, nostalgic s- smells, I was going to say, you, you know, you grew up in Merseyside in a house above your dad's bakery that always mm. smelt of bread. I just mm. loved that when I read that. And and I wondered, you know, when you now get the different aromas of baking in, in Bake Off and all aspects of your career, do you get hit with that same sense of nostalgia like when you went in the tuck shop? It's, uh, no, no, because baking bread is sort of, it's a daily thing now. It's not something that's unusual. Mm, so it's something that is just part of what I do I don't often smell it now what I do however is taste and certain breads certain normally baps or balm cakes or batch or whatever you want to call them when you bite into some of them if they're made properly in their 48 hour fermentation or 24 hour fermentation there's a very distinctive smell of almost homemade and there's a homemade bread smell that will take me right back to when I was a kid and that's mm. the smell that means more to me than the sort of mass-produced stuff, or even sourdough. Sourdough mm. is something I hit much, much later. But this homemade bread, or well, it tends to be in a roll. It just, it's magic. Everybody would recognize what I'm talking about when they smell it. They'll go, oh, wow. Yeah, I feel like that when I smell um, like iced buns. I never really yeah. loved them, but we would always have them when we were like young at school after like a swimming match or a netball well. match. Yeah. yeah, and it just brings yeah brings back so amazing how powerful food memories are and triggering oh, yeah. triggering. Memories. I, I think that's part of the bake off. I think that's part of the pull. I think when people see us doing like a creamed ice buns with jam or a cookie with cream, uh, like a Devonshire split or a sausage roll, or a pork pie. These things go right back uh, mm. to when you, the first time you had a sausage roll, or the first time you had a pork pie, or, you know, a cookie or a donut or jam donut. And I, I used to do, uh, I remember sort of, I loved jam donuts. And I used to, my, one of my first jobs in the bakery was making jam donuts. So I used to sort of over pump this thing for, it's like a jam bomb. Uh, and so I'd inject so much jam into it and I'd leave it on the side and wait for someone to pick it up and have a bike this thing would just explode <laughs> it was mainly jam held in a very loose dough <laughs> sounds delicious though I'd very yeah, much well, yeah. like enjoy that <laughs> so tell me about these um, thinking places that you have yeah I, I've got a few of them they tend to be around in these remote uh, mountainous areas mm. uh, there's a couple in the Alps uh, Verbier, uh, Chamonix. I've got one there, one in each place. Uh, I have one in Cyprus, um, which is a beautiful place actually near Drusha. And um, there's, there's one in North Wales. Uh, yeah. I, I, and what, what do you do there? Like when do I you utilize them? It tends to have, it tends to be a place of beauty. So there's an amazing view or some, some panoramic view to look at, which takes your breath away. Really, yeah. you, you realize how insignificant we are. I think when you look at those sort of scopes, mm. but, um, it's normally with the wind, and the wind tends to be warm. So, normally, when I'm at these places, even in the Alps, you can get a wind which actually, because you're in the sun, 
it's quite a cooling wind even in the middle of winter. I, I always find the Alps absolutely. We say, where did you get the town? Oh, I got it in the Alps. <laughs> what? You've been skiing? Yeah, but you catch the town. That's impossible. And they're trying to explain to people, yeah. you know, the proximity of the sun. Yeah. But, um, I think it's always with wind. So there's always a breath of wind. And I tend to lie back on a mountain so it's it's fairly steep and let the wind come over me. And I just, it's that sensation. It's uh, it's it, all the senses are heightened, the smell. You may smell cooked grass. You may, may smell soil or you may smell flowers or trees or fir trees mm. and um then you've got that beautiful warm wind as well and then you've got that that sky that blue sky when you open your eyes it's just incredible sounds meditative it is it is yeah. Yeah, I think it really calms me down have you been to it's just made me think have you been to big sur in california uh no where about is that is that the bit the big uh, the, in bear is that the, the mountain range the no, area. no, it's on the Pacific Highway, like the Route One, that famous road with the bridge. The um, one that goes to San Fran from yeah, LA. Yeah, no, yeah, exactly. I, I I actually took the inner road. I drove oh, no. up. To, I've <laughs> oh, done, that is a good road too. I think from my it is. Yeah. I did yeah. San Diego to I did San Diego to uh, LA and then up to San Francisco. And okay, I actually should have taken the coast road, but no. this is going to be your new another another thinking place for you, Paul. When you get <laughs> when you get there, it's just that amazing, like mountains, like green and lush jungle, looking yeah. out at the Pacific. You know, with whales in the distance, oh, wow. steep drops, just like yeah. You. But you know it now, so it can't be my thinking place. <laughs> oh, because it has to be that <laughs> I can't remote. Share it. <laughs> <laughs> Right, okay. Chapter two, let's move on. Is the first place that you fell in love with? Uh that's a that is a tricky one. I mean, I remember the first I, I was 18, probably 18. It was the first time I'd really gone abroad. Really, I went with my friend Adam and we went to Barbados. My dad at the time did have a little plot of land over there, which he was going to do something with, but he never, never did. I think he sold it a year later. But um, it was it was Barbados. I just fell in love with it. Uh, we were at the St. Lawrence, St. Lawrence Gap. I think it was the St. Lawrence Hotel. And this was, I was, you know, this was, what, 80, 84-ish. Mm-hmm. Uh, it wasn't a huge amount of English people there. Of course, there was a lot of English, but not like the numbers now. Mm. You know, I think the Americans get used to go down there uh, a lot. They treat uh, the C- Caribbean like we treat the Canary Islands as sort of their getaway place. Yeah, bit of sun, get down the Caribbean. Whereas we'd say, let's get down to the Canaries. I found it amazing. I mean, I remember walking down the road, and a guy came up to me and sold me an aloe aloe vera plant, just the leaf, the leaf, because I had a good colour. I've always tanned very easily. Literally, I'm one of those annoying people that I'll go, you know, uh, I've been before where I've caught up with uh, someone who's been on holiday a, a week before I have, I could get there because I was working, joined up with them within two days of overtaking them, you know, and they're going, <laughs> how do you call us? I said, I don't know. Um, and Barbados, it was incredible for that. They gave me this aloe plant and I dig, dug in, it was like the gel. And I just put it on my skin. I was like, I remember lying on the beach in front of this hotel and I was quite dark anyway. I thought, this isn't going to do much, you know, so I just covered myself in this stuff. Yeah. didn't really burn. I was just sort of lying there reading a book. And uh, I think five o'clock, I went up to the bar in the hotel to go and get a drink. (laughs) My mate met me in the bar and he went, what the hell? He said, (laughs) what colour? Have you seen your face? I went, no. And it was a very rich, dark colour. 
And it, I was so different to my passport when I came back. I'm surprised they let me back in. I've no, no, no resemblance to that picture at all. Well, were you doing your who do you think you are? You had Scottish blood, but did you have any like Mediterranean blood with your the, uh, Well, the problem is I don't know from my dad's side. It just sort of peters out from my dad's side. Uh, my dad's dad's side is unknown, so it's very tricky. So uh, I found that there was Norwegian in my blood. There was Norwegian, there was Scottish. I'm mainly Celt, actually, so I'm Irish, mm-hmm. Welsh and Scot. Not the typical Tanners. No, <laughs> but yeah, but you say Irish. You've got you've got the Spanish as well, haven't you? So you've got mm-hmm. you've got the uh, that very distinctive look in Ireland. But then I was two percent Persian, really, and I don't know where that came from. Uh, we haven't gone back far enough to find it, but yeah, I'm two percent Persian. So maybe it's that two percent Persian that's <laughs> popping out. <laughs> you so you followed in your father's footsteps and went on to become head baker at like some of the finest establishments in England like Cliveden and the Dorchester so you spent a lot of time in super high-end hotels what was it like working in places like that? It was a real treat I think um, obviously when you're hungry you always have great food on tap or if Mm -hmm. the chef who I work with uh, and some of the the exec chefs have been fantastic I mean Paul Reed likes Simon Radley and uh, these guys are fantastic and often I'd be working someone's sociable time. They come in and say, do you fancy something to eat? And they just go in the fridge and cook me up something. You go, wow, that's wow, amazing. That's really cool. So, I, I mean, I remember being at Clifton and I, again, on sociable hours, and there was breaks in between me preparing breakfast and getting the afternoon tea stuff all done. So there was a big snooker table, I remember, downstairs in the Clifton where the kitchens were. And they'd set it up, or it'd been there for years, I think. And I used to literally, it was... 30 second walk from pastry into this snooker room. And of course, middle of the night, my snooker improved dramatically. <laughs> and I think ultimately, I remember up in the up in the main hall at Clifton, you've got Lady Astor's uh, painting near the near the fireplace. On the left-hand side, there's a chair, quite a beaten old chair, uh, quite high back. And when I used to arrive, I'd start my croissant or Danish or brioche, whatever I was doing. And then I'd have 20 minutes. So I'd go and get myself a nice coffee and I'd sit in the chair underneath Lady Astor's picture and that was my chair that was my chair for quite some time and I used to love oh. going up there and when I go back there now if I go and stay there I'll go and sit in back in my old chair it's been upholstered so it's not the same chair but <laughs> it, it is it's I, I have, I'm very traditionalist and very yeah I always have a pattern I find it difficult to break patterns mm-hmm. so I always do the same thing all the time so I get used to that same place I was happy with. I was happy there Oh, it's a great hotel, isn't it? I mean, it It feels so steeped in history and also just feels like such a treat. I think it is one of the finest stately homes in the country. I think Mm. um, I remember there was a bus stop when the Astors took it over because the royalty never decided to go back to Clifton because it was owned by the, the Americans. And so the royal family boycotted it for some years. Then when it went into a hotel, the Queen Mother turned up when my brother was... Uh, my half brother John was was working in the front, and uh, the Queen Mother came in for her afternoon tea. And she came in, dropped dropped off at the door, and came in for tea. She had it in the Madame Pompadour's room, and uh, she loved it. It was the first royal to come back for for a long time, so it was lovely to see her back. Yeah. So I think Clifton is a special place for me. I think three members of my family have worked there, really? and I, I remember bringing in the Millennium on the roof with the chef 
watching the fireworks coming up from a private. They'd, they'd taken over the whole house for a private party on New Year. And we I went onto the roof to watch the fireworks going off on Millennium. That was a wow, great Wow, what year. a place Amazing. to be. <laughs> Amazing. And so then from from what point did you get selected to be on Bake Off on, on the TV? Like, how was, did they find you? I was I I came back from Cyprus and started doing bits and pieces. I did a series with James Martin. I did a series on my own. I did two series on my own. Then I was doing with things like Food Network, UK Food. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, so there was morning. actually quite a lot before before. Bake yeah, I, I I was not many people knew me unless you were a real foodie. I'd sort of turn up to food shows and do demos on the little stages and stuff. And then, mm-hmm. um, but I, it was too niche. I was constantly told baking was far too niche and no one was really that bothered. But <laughs> I was all, I was always saying that well, there's loads of chefs, but there's not there's there's hardly any bakers. Yeah, you know, I'm surely there's people that are into bake now. That's nah, too niche. And then um, How I sort of given did, did they know? <laughs> isn't it weird? And then I ended up um, I was approached by Love Productions in 2009, just before Christmas it was, and I was working in the bakery. And I got this call saying, would they like to come down and do a quick tape of you judging a bag full of baked goods? And I said, well, uh, right. I'd heard all this before from production companies. You sort of yawn and go, yeah, whatever. And I'd done quite a few pilots, but baking was too niche. So I thought, okay, we'll do this one as well. So they just literally emptied a load of stuff. I think a young girl turned up at the station. And I thought, oh, this isn't serious. This, this is really, it was a little terrible bit of equipment. I said, mm-hmm. these guys aren't serious. So they mm-hmm. filmed me, took it back. And then um, I got a call the following week, said, would you come in for an audition? Went up to London, did a couple of auditions, judging loads of people's stuff. And then I met Mary. Uh, and I'd met Mary before on a previous programme I did where I was a host for this with Jenny Barnes, And um, she was a guest and we got on really well. So I knew her, I'd met her. And then uh, that was it. We hit it off and I was told I had the job and, I was like, okay, when are we filming? He said, next month. I went, what? And then it all kicked off from there. So, but it happened very quickly. We didn't realize what was going to happen to Bake Off and how big it was actually going to get. But I think with the consolidated figures, I think the figures we ended up getting in BBC, I think it was around 22 million, which was unbelievable. Sort of 80s numbers, you know, the colossal. Yeah. And that was, was that season one that those numbers no. were? Or does it no, it, well, it started about three and a half and then went to five and a half, seven and a half, eight, nine and a half, 13 and a half, 15 and a half, just grew, grew, grew. Yeah, I've watched every single season. <laughs> so have I. Well, I haven't watched it. I was there, but I, I don't, I haven't actually watched it. But I still sometimes when I can't sleep, try and remember all the, all the winners. I sort of go through them in my head. And I've a lost. different form of counting sheep. Because <laughs> this is 13 years this year. It's a wow. long time in TV, 13 years. Yeah. Well, chapter three is the place where you learnt the most about yourself. Where would you pick? I think it'd have to be, it would have to be, it's it's between Cyprus and London, weirdly. And I wasn't in London for a huge year or so, but it was the first time I'd been away from home. So I think it's between the two and I can't, because it's, it's different ways of looking at it. it. It made me grow up a lot in London in the sense of I had to learn to stand on my own two feet. I had to learn to be away. I got very homesick very mm-hmm. easily. So that's why I was really surprised I took the job in London, in Cyprus. Um, indeed, London as well. I think London was the start of me getting used to being away. And yeah. then Cyprus picked up the mantle. And 
what originally was going to be a year contract ended up being nearly six years. And you know, so what um, were you doing in Cyprus? I was baking. Uh, I was poached. I, I was in a the Mosaman Academy of Creative Chefs, and we were offered job. You get when you're in this academy as a group of when you're at the top of your game, you, you join this academy, and you used to get offered jobs all over the world. So I was offered jobs wow. in Miami, uh, in the Mandarin Oriental. Uh, Australia, although I could pick and choose where I wanted to go. And wow, then, an opportunity. And then Cyprus came up, and I thought, well, that's closer. Yeah. Uh, never been to Cyprus, four and a half hours on the plane. Okay, so I flew over there, did the interview, fell in love with the place straight away. The heat was intense, and um, they offered me the job while I was there, so I came back and dropped the new bombshell to my chef, and he lost it. Uh, and uh, six weeks later, I was jetting off to Cyprus with me back. How not, how exciting to live and work somewhere else, you know, in that at, in that time of life as well. It must have just been a real yeah. thrill. I was 28, 28 when I did it, and I th- yeah. What what was really gave me uh, pause for thought was remembering my friends I used to work with in the bakeries back in the world, who were still doing the same job. I didn't understand. I didn't know or really appreciate where baking could take you, you know, because I was working in a local bakery in, in the end with a, a load of lads got on with really well. I like to think I was good at my job uh, and had a good time. Money wasn't fantastic, but it was all right. I, there, was a, there was a ladder there I could climb to become mm-hmm. head baker at this little uh, local chain of bakeries. But I wanted something more, and I think that's the thing that drove me. And mm. I was very ambitious. I didn't quite know why. My dad, you know, did well in the business, but I didn't realize he could take me to places like Cyprus and eventually bake off and doing what I do. I just found it, and I still, my friends, some of the guys still work in the bakeries, and I, and I, I sort of represent them in a way. I don't, I don't know, in a weird way, you sort of say, "Don't." I was probably more ambitious and driven, mm-hmm. uh, and I probably got that from my dad. So I think in life generally, you've got to look at, you've got to grasp things. Some things you may find uncomfortable, but do it anyway, because your heart and your head will be fighting each other. And you've got to do what you think is right for your, for your career when you're young. Just go with it and do the best that you can and see where it takes you. And sometimes the heart will go, no, I don't want to do because you've got attachments. You know, I, I didn't want to leave my mom, my brothers, my mates, so I didn't want to leave. But I did it and I'm happy I did. I would have regretted not doing these things I've done. That's uh, really, it's really good advice, and it's also you know shows how when you travel, you know it gives you these life experiences that permeate you, and and mm. you grow as you grow every time yeah. you you travel somewhere or you live somewhere that's different from home. Uh, it's quite distinctive. It can change your life depending on where you go and how open. <laughs> I mean, I'm living in living abroad. My dad lives abroad now, and. You know, you will find huge expat communities that all live together. Yes. <laughs> and I, I did. I was guilty of it for a bit. And it drove me, you know, not all the time, but it did drive me a little bit insane. I wanted to learn Greek. So I was working with Greek lads who were teaching me the Cypriot Greek, which is a bit slang. It's right. not really like Greek. It is, but it's not. Um, and I I sort of started to pick it up at the end. And... I, I, I indulged myself into the Cypriot culture, worked with Cypriots day in, day out, got to know them. They're good friends still. They're good friends. Um, and so that changes your perception on where we are on the planet as well. I think you can't be so 
negative when you go abroad. You've got to experience what that country's got to offer. And I think it's easy to go and get your egg and chips. Hmm. And I think it's easy to go and get your your bottles of beer, which you, which you normally drink back in the UK. Try try something different. Be daring, because I think that's the only way you understand not only drink, but the food and, and experiences as well. That is such good advice, uh, Paul. I mean, I, I, I really try and live by that when I'm traveling as well. And um, yeah, I, I, I really like that. I think that's something that all the listeners will definitely relate to and appreciate. Uh, Cyprus obviously is hugely popular for for British travellers. Um, yeah. But for, for those who have, haven't been there or, or actually want to get under its skin so that, you know, like someone who's lived there and has got to know its real hidden gems, another chapter that we'll come on to later. But um, are there some places that you'd recommend that, you know, are must-sees? I, I mean, obviously Cyprus is, is one of those places that you, you visit. It's not Greek. Uh, it's not a Greek island. It's, it's, it's a it's a high, it's a, it's, it's got huge Turkish influences in there. Greek, obviously, that's the foundation. But there's a Middle Eastern influence in there as well. And so you see that in the buildings and the way that the layout is. Uh, but it, and it, again, you've got these amazing places that you visit and it just takes your breath away with the views. The mm. people are so friendly. I, I find Cypriot people one of the most friendliest people I've ever met. They accepted me into their, into their country with open arms and... You know, I, I appreciate that because it was difficult for me initially to sort of get used to living there. Yeah, the food is spectacular. It's actually they live longer than most places, uh, most people, um, and you know, I think I think ultimately their their lifestyle and their food is incredible. It's really healthy. Sun and kind of that Mediterranean diet. Yeah, I think living mm. outside is a was a bit. I think when I came back to this country, the fact that I had to put coats on. I remember coming back in. I was allowed two weeks off a year. I was working six days a week. So I, wow. I came back. I used to come back to the UK for my holiday. So I come <laughs> back out and catch up with everybody. And within two days, I just wanted to go back. But Life in reverse. How pale everybody was over here. I thought <laughs> everyone looked really ill. And I remember January, I was quite heavily tanned because over there, even in middle of winter, it can be 24. I remember Christmas Day, it was 26. And I was sitting outside my shorts going, oh, this is this having me turkey. It was ridiculous. Hmm. And you worked in a hotel. Is it one that you'd recommend to people? Yeah, I mean, I worked in the Annabelle Hotel and I, I was involved with one of my lads going over to the Anassa Hotel, which is in yeah. Lachi and Polis. And that is my dream hotel. I stayed, I've stayed there many, many times and still do. The Annabelle, it was next door to the Paphos Beach then. It's now called the Almira. So the, the, the family owned those three hotels. I think they've just taken over another one as well. And... Um, but the boss of the hotel at the time was the foreign minister of Cyprus. And he, he, he was, he was my direct boss. So he looked after me when I was in Cyprus. That's a well-connected, a well-connected yeah, boss to have. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds at Mint Mobile. We like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ready to pop the question? 
The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Today's episode is supported by Airbnb. It has been a long old winter here in the UK and in between podcast seasons, I'm going to take a little bit of downtime to seek out some warmth. I'm jetting off to the Greek island of Mykonos, visiting some places that have been on my bucket list. And while I'm hopefully soaking up some Mediterranean sun, my home will be hosting guests from all over the world thanks to Airbnb. It's the perfect way to make your travels easier even more rewarding. Instead of letting your home sit empty while you're off exploring new destinations, why not turn it into a cozy retreat for fellow travellers just like I do? Whether you choose to rent out your entire space or just a spare room, it's up to you. I list my spare bedroom and it's been a fantastic experience, both financially rewarding and a great way to connect with new people. So if you're planning your own summer getaway or any trip for that matter, consider putting your home on Airbnb. It's a fantastic way to earn extra income that can go towards your travel expenses, souvenirs, or even that special treat you've been eyeing. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.co.uk forward slash host. Thank you to Airbnb for supporting the Travel Diaries. Coming up now, chapter four, the all-time favorite destination of Paul Hollywood. What will it be? It's a tricky one. I, I, you see, Cyprus was my home for so long. And the Anassa is the place I always gravitate to and where I feel most comfortable and where I have the most amazing holidays. But there's one place that always blows my mm-hmm. mind, I think, because it's it's a weird thinking place. <laughs> and because uh, it, it always blows my mind because whether you're religious or not, something's gone on there. And it's Jerusalem. Mm. Um, I found Jerusalem one of the most moving spiritual, uh, calming, it's visceral because you've got this, you know, you have the Palestinians and the Israelis there. And actually, most of the time, the people that live there will live and work together without any problem. And you see that in food. You see that through food. You see it predominantly through food in all these little places. The food is amazing. The energy when you're walking around the the roads from even from the sepulchre down to the the, the dome on the rock or you're walking around through the Damascus gate and grabbing a coffee and grabbing a little uh, snack. The food is incredible. The smell of the spices, it's, it's, a, it's an alive, it's alive and it, it, it's, it sort of hasn't aged at all. That's what it feels like when you're walking around there. And it's a really special place. I love Jerusalem. I think the government will say, oh, it's dangerous. Don't go there or don't do this. So, rubbish just go to Jerusalem and check it out you know it's the most amazing place to go and are you spiritual did you did you go there with that in mind or uh, just because of, of its <sighs> incredible history I grew up in an evangelical with an evangelical background really? my family my, my uncle's a canon now uh, so we was Church of England but all my family are yeah right. so I, I I mean I'm saying that you know the stories but I'm familiar with the Bible. I'm familiar with the stories, but I'm more of, um, I like to find out 
the facts because obviously when you read the bible there are things in there which you can take on faith as being absolute but i like to question stuff as well so i like you know factual things like the hope the church of the holy sepulchre being, being where it is on the map wise people say well at the time it was it was outside the walls but i, I love all the historical the architectural where you look at something uh and try and dig around in the history of something and try and find out. I love old buildings. Mm. Fascinate the Colosseum in Rome, amazing place. Um, the Vatican and, and, and the Forum. Um, I've been to Rome so many times and I just literally roam around Rome <laughs> looking at these amazing places and trying to absorb the history as well. Yeah. So I like to read up about it before I go. I think that's... There's, there's a couple of types of holidays, isn't it? You've got that sort of city break where, like a city break. <laughs> there's a city break where you go and you just enjoy some great food and, and enjoying the city. There's the historical ones where you can go to Athens or Rome and go and check places out and really get down and dirty with these places and understand what makes it sick. Naples, I think, is more of a modern Rome. I think Naples is like how Rome would have been. The way it's, I, I love Naples, mm-hmm. it's so powerful. But then you've got the the beach holidays where you sit there and sip your pina coladas on the beach, you know, and cover yourself in oil. So <laughs> it depends what mood I'm in and what sort of what type of holiday I'd like. And then you've got the skiing one, which is again very different. So it, I, Jerusalem sort of ticks that uh, calming box and hunting and traveling, and the weather's normally great all year round. Uh, but it's such a the views as well over the over the. Um, Mount of Olives looking down onto Jerusalem and then Judea. Uh, it's stunning, mm. stunning place. Yeah. Is there a place that you always go back to stay there? I, know, I, I think it's the American Embassy Hotel, which is just outside the walls. I think Tony Blaze to stay there a lot. Uh, that's what I was told when I was there. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, was, that was a lovely hotel. And again, you've got, you've, you've got that uh, run into Jerusalem, which is not that far away, so you can see the walls. But you're outside the walls of the city, so you've got that very rural uh, Israeli look as well, which I love. So as we're on the all-time favourites, my all-time favourite programme, Great British Bake Off, uh, (laughs) have you started the new season yet? Have you started filming? Uh, It's top secret. uh, (laughs) It's it's imminent. I love walking back into the tent. And again, one of my favourite places to visit in the world is the tent. And it's, it's become... It's become almost cult-like now, the tent. Uh, I think globally people recognise it now. And um, that's 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 weird, you know, because for me it's my workplace. Yeah. I know when we get the odd people who have, um, who have come along to see the tent and they may be friends or family of the crew or whatever, and then they come in and they're, they're just gobsmacked. You know, they see it sitting there shining like some alien ship that's just landed. <laughs> Uh, and it's it is an amazing place, you know. That who thought of putting those pastel colours in a tent with bunting all over it, and then we all get baking nostalgic bakes. It's, oh. It is a great place to work. I yeah. mean, as a as a viewer, it has a magic a magical quality. The tent, so I imagine in person, is it even more tangible? It is. Yeah. It is. I mean, I I find it. It's like a friend. It's like oh. my, it is my second home. How that special! I've been for Thirteen years. Let's was there move on to chapter five. That is your hidden gem, a place that you love that maybe my listeners wouldn't necessarily know about. 
you see, for me, it, it's it's almost as basic as the Colosseum. You see, I love looking at the Colosseum. Mm-hmm. And there's a couple of calves that are around. Uh, as you sort of go up the forum, the Colosseum's here. It's on the right. There's a, there's a little square that comes, and there's a row of shops. And in the middle of those rows is one of the best coffees I've had for a long time. And I, I, I sit there, and I probably have four, five. Uh, so you're I'm shaking by, by the time you get to bouncing that. Bouncing <laughs> down the forum back to the hotel. Uh, sitting there and people watching. Sometimes it's difficult for me to people watch because um, I find it's the opposite, actually. Yeah, I've heard uh, that. People are watching me. Yeah. So I remember the, the, the last time I was there and I wasn't recognised. I mean, the Italians sort of know who I am because Bake Off is actually shown out there. Is it? And so, you know, two in ten would know who I am. So I could sort of get away with it most of the time. So I normally sit there in a beanie if it's winter and a pair of shades up uh, or have a snood up so you can see it. You can't see anything. And I just, pe- just people watch with coffee. Love it. Um, but on that same vein, there's another place which I love is, I love Verbier. I think Verbier is a very special place. Mm-hmm. And up in the mountains, and I was a late comer to skiing. You know, I was in my 40s when I started skiing. Most people, I just, I never came from a family of skiers. We came from a, you know, a, you know, not a particularly affluent family. Uh, you know, my mum, I lived with my mum, my brothers, and we never really had a lot of money. But so skiing wasn't on the menu, you know. Yeah. Wales camping was on the menu. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, so skiing came later. So for me to experience that later on in life was amazing. With my love of blue skies and views of mountains, well, you got it all there. Mm. And I think Verbier first, I was so I was I, I sort of did a bit of snowboard and I was all right. Skiing, I'm still all right, not brilliant. I'm okay. But I'd love stopping off on my hot chocolate. So you stop off at station two or station one, and you have this view, this this vista of these beautiful white mountains with the bluest sky you've ever seen uh. with the heat hitting you. And you're thinking I'm hot. And you've got all your ski stuff up. You peel it off to a t-shirt and you're just sitting there with a hot chocolate, which quickly followed probably into a beer. If it was in the pier and I'd sit there, have a couple of beers and thought, I'm not even going to ski. I'm just going to jump back in the cable car and go back down again. <laughs> uh, and it, I could sit there for hours and I did sit there for hours, just taking in the heat Watching everybody enjoying the laughter, the the noise of the the, the skis on the uh, on the snow, it's just a fantastic place. You know, oh, I love it. You're transporting me to the mountains. <laughs> oh, sounds so. Actually, I've I've never been skiing. I didn't come from a family of skiers either, but I love the mountains. So I could so be on board with a skiing holiday where I just go and sit and drink hot chocolate. Listen. Even if you don't ski, you, you've got the kit on, so you look like you ski. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, and, I, and there's all these very cool French kids and Italian Italian blokes that are all hugely tanned, and they, <laughs> they just sort of swing over the skis and walk in <laughs> and going, "Wow, look at them!" I mean, they're just all the domuses. <laughs> but I think, I think for me, it's just sitting down, watching people enjoying themselves, and just and just. Being at you know in that very peaceful place again, yeah. I, think, I love it. Love the mountains, soaking love in that atmosphere. Uh, yes, yeah. sounds wonderful. So, an exciting time for you, Paul, because you're back with your first book in five years. Bake. Yeah, it is, and it's taken me a while to sort of uh, do another one. I think I was always looking at. You know, we produce bakers every year in the tent, and they're bringing out books, and there's books everywhere, and people are bringing out more books and baking, and it's more books, and they're getting. I don't want to bring up, well, there's too many baking books. 
And so I, I've been in a very privileged position to be able to try some of the bakes from all these bakers and been in the profession myself. I've sort of, I wanted to change, not change, but uh, better some of the classics by adding my little twist to it. The things like the lemon drizzle, like the brownie, um, and then getting people baking with some of the classics that I like and simplifying it so people could try it at home. So I picked the best classics that I like. So it's a very indulgent book from that, but I want it to be a book that people want to use all the It's the only baking book you need. Do you know what I mean? Yes. I want, I want it to be thumbed through. I want it to be covered in flour <laughs> yeah. and loads of batter and the pages are all stuck together. I want it to be one of those books because I'm really proud of it. I wrote it during Bake Off uh, lockdown. So I was very fresh in my mind, all the new challenges that we'd set the bakers. So Prue was going back to write her book. Matt was writing a book and uh, Noel was writing a script, I think. And we all went back to our own rooms and I was sort of thought, I'm going to start this book. I've been putting it off for so long. I've been writing notes, you know, in, in my on my computer and on my phone. And it just needed to be consolidated and go back onto the recipes and look at them again. And so I put some new ones in and a lot, I've, I've got a whole chapter on pizza and donuts, which are my indulgence. Mm-hmm. I've got a pizza oven here, which I use, which I, friends come around and they love them. Yeah. So I wanted to, I wanted to do, uh, proper pizza in proper pizza ovens, but also adjusting it for people at home that do it in their own ovens. And how can you achieve the same effect or similar effect? But there's so many people now during lockdown that bought pizza ovens that yeah. are particularly expensive. Yeah, and it's a great way of feeding your family. Yeah. Cheap, you know, you can you can huge pizzas. You can make three, four, five of them for less than fiber. You know, it's only dough yeah. with tomato and whatever you're going to put on it. So I, I I wanted to put this in the book, which I did, and then these sort of uh, shoe donuts and uh, just you know lemon donuts and uh, oh, yeah. yeah it was very indulgent but when we were when we were doing all the recipes for the pictures <laughs> the amount of people going what are you doing today what are you doing today can you bring it back can you bring it back <laughs> so for me this book is is a very special one for me it's very personal uh, yeah I mean it really like you say the only baking book you'll ever need I mean it really is so comprehensive it just covers yeah covers all aspects of baking but actually yeah. what is your go-to pizza topping i have to know well i i love i, I quite a basic one actually i love uh fungi and and uh yes fungi and parma ham really mm. I, I love mushroom and ham mm. and i like i like putting my mozzarella on there i put a little bit of parmesan on there as well um sometimes i put a little bit of cream in the in with the mozzarella it's not sweet because that blends with the mozzarella yeah which gives it more liquid and stringy and then uh, your mushrooms go in that goes in the oven in for about a minute 20 out it comes and then you lay parma ham all over it drizzle of olive oil it's just delicious mm. yeah. do you like a kind of are you a crispy base guy or do you like it a no. bit more doughy well the, the, no i like thin and crispy, thin and crispy. in the sense of a good, the best pizza. I worked in Naples with this guy Enzo, who's one of the best pizza makers in the world. Learning how to make he, his pizzas, you know, in, in in the original Napoli. Yeah. When you cut a pizza slice, you fold up the ends, and then hold it up. So it should hold to about halfway, and then begin to drop. Right. If it holds all the way, it's too. It's not right. Okay. If it bends all the way, it's not quite right. You probably need it a little bit longer in the oven. Yeah. So halfway and then slight bend at the end and then in. Uh, it's just, yeah, lovely. Yeah. Well, might make some really. <laughs> I wish I was there. I wish I was there in person. So chapter six, the penultimate chapter. 
is your worst travel experience? Is there anywhere that you remember maybe for the wrong reasons? I would say Casablanca was 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 pretty awful originally initially because they put us in a hotel that was hideous. I mean, it was just a nightmare. It was cockroach, cockroaches everywhere, hairs in the bed. It was there was mold all around the shower. Oh. It was a terrible, terrible hotel. The noise, the nets were brown. It stunk as smoke. I mean, it was just, the list just went on and on and on. And I couldn't get hold of the rep from the area to try and move to another hotel. And in the end, he said, I'll just stay and I'll move in the morning. So I went out to reception to kick off, which I did. And then went back up to the room and the guy, uh, the guy came out and said, we'll move you first thing in the morning, Paul, to this new hotel. And that was much better. I woke up in the morning to the to the sound of the minaret, which, which was the call to prayer. Mm-hmm. And the t- it was literally 10 foot from my window. <laughs> <laughs> I opened up the curtain and the speaker was there and went, you've got to be kidding me. Because it's I mean, loud. I lo- I, well, I love the sound. I love going to Islamic countries and hearing that sound. It's so moving. Mm. But to have it outside your bedroom window at five o'clock in the morning, I didn't get there till late anyway. <laughs> It shot me out. I came out of the bed like a Polaris missile. Um, but we did move. And then I loved hearing it in the morning. So I, I loved opening the windows at night to get the fresh air. In. And I could hear uh, the call to prayer. And it was it was just in a distance. And it was, oh, it was so amazing. Uh, but outside your bedroom, not ideal. <laughs> How about the worst thing that you've eaten on your travels? Because you've you've made all these incredible culinary road trips and, and food mm-hmm. se- series. Is there something that, you know, like is a local speciality that you felt like you had to eat that's kind of stuck in your memory? I was forced in Sicily to went to the Sicilian market in Palermo and uh, film it. And I was with this guy who took me into this place where these old gentlemen were sitting there playing uh, the games. and. Um, they gave me tripe and I just, it was, uh, I just couldn't eat it. I've always had a problem with tripe holding it down. I just, I put, it's probably the texture and smell. I mean, I've, I've, you know, everyone raves saying, oh, it's been, I get some bits. It is like Marmite. Yeah. I think nowadays it's probably more people don't like it than do. I mean, I yeah. like kidneys and liver and all that stuff. That's no problem. It's just that it was the stomach stuff, the blanket, you know, and I was yeah. like, I, I couldn't, I just couldn't eat it. And that was, yeah, yeah, I had to walk out there. The smell was quite intense. <laughs> well, we are on to the final chapter of your travel diaries pool, chapter seven, and that is the destination that's at the top of your travel bucket list. I've always threatened to go to uh, Australia, never been. Mm-hmm. New Zealand and Australia, I'm a massive uh, all black fan. So, New Zealand holds uh, a special place. And I know Bake Off in Australia is massive, uh, the Australian one and the British one. I've been invited over a few times and it just always clashed with, you know, filming. I would love to go to Australia. Wonderful. Uh, and New Zealand to check it out at some point. Now they're doing those flights soon, aren't they? Which are going to take Yeah, from Sy- Sydney to London, direct. Well, if you're looking for any inspiration for Australia or New Zealand, we've got the awesome Australia destination special that was released a couple of seasons back. And I just released a couple of weeks ago, New Zealand now with Richie McCaw, who you will know ah, if you're a big... Uh, he's a legend. Yeah. He's a legend. He's a god. <laughs> My husband was so excited when I was interviewing him and I was like having to clue up on rugby really quickly. I can't believe you spoke to him. He is just amazing. I saw him play rugby in Twickenham against England many, many moons ago. Amazing guy. Very humble and very sweet. 
Oh, well, thank you so much, Paul. I've so enjoyed chatting to you. Those were your travel diaries. My pleasure. That was the brilliant Paul Hollywood. Really interesting answers, I thought. And I've been reflecting on what my thinking places would be. I love that idea. I think that's a really nice thing to have, a place that you go to clear your mind and know that you'll feel zen and meditative. Um, So I'm going to think a bit more about that and choose some of my own. His new book, Bake, is out on June 9th and is available to pre-order now. Next week is the much-anticipated listener special where I've asked you, the listeners, to send in your answers to a chapter from the podcast. The response has been incredible and it has been such a delight to hear about the travel destinations that have shaped your lives from listeners all over the world. So be sure to tune in to see if you are one of next week's guests. Thanks so much for listening today. If you're enjoying the podcast, don't forget to hit subscribe or if you're using Apple Podcasts to hit follow so that a new episode lands in your podcast app each week. If you're loving the podcast, it would be amazing if you could take a minute to leave a rating or review on your podcast app. To find out who's joining me on next week's episode, come and follow me on Instagram. I'm at Holly Rubenstein. And if you can't wait till then, remember there's six seasons you can catch up on. Thanks again for tuning in, everyone. And I'll be back next week. Today's episode is supported by Airbnb. It has been a long old winter here in the UK and in between podcast seasons, I'm going to take a little bit of downtime to seek out some warmth. I'm jetting off to the Greek island of Mykonos, visiting some places that have been on my bucket list. And while I'm hopefully soaking up some Mediterranean sun, my home will be hosting guests from all over the world thanks to Airbnb. It's the perfect way to make your travels even more rewarding. Instead of letting your home sit empty while you're off exploring new destinations, why not turn it into a cozy retreat for fellow travellers just like I do. Whether you choose to rent out your entire space or just a spare room, it's up to you. I list my spare bedroom and it's been a fantastic experience, both financially rewarding and a great way to connect with new people. So if you're planning your own summer getaway or any trip for that matter, consider putting your home on Airbnb. It's a fantastic way to earn extra income that can go towards your travel expenses, souvenirs, or even that special treat you've been eyeing. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.co.uk forward slash host. Thank you to Airbnb for supporting the Travel Diaries. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.